You are listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a space for intellectual engagement, interdisciplinary collaboration, and a vibrant graduate community at James Madison University. Due to the pandemic, this year's podcasts have been conducted remotely over video communication software. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Megan, and today I'm sitting down with Dr. Peaches Hash. She is a former high school English teacher and current lecturer in Appalachian State University's English department. Dr. Hash holds degrees in English curriculum and instruction and educational leadership. She is a Fulbright alumni and her research interests involve intersections between expressive arts, composition studies, and education. Her recent publications have appeared in English Leadership Quarterly, English Journal, and the Carrere Exchange Journal. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Hash. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So tell us what your grad school experience was like. Oh, man. So I've, I've had both kind of more traditional and non-traditional grad experiences. My master's, which is in English, I got that from Appalachian State, was a full-time residential master's. So I was doing like a graduate assistantship for 20 hours a week and then taking classes full-time living you know right by campus and walking to it and working on campus and it still to this day was two of the best years of my life i loved it i loved the cohort i was in and then while i was teaching high school i completed an eds in curriculum and instruction and that one met only a few times like every few months on saturdays and you really didn't get to know your cohort at all because it was so big and that was done you know while I was working a full-time job so I would say that was kind of the opposite of my master's program in a lot of ways because it wasn't relational but I still learned a lot from it and then the doctorate that I just completed was on campus and I did go to classes every week but it was modeled like a typical edd fashion in which you worked a full-time job additionally while completing these classes so i was teaching four to five college classes a semester sometimes or holding an, a research assistantship and teaching classes and then taking my own classes but i really wouldn't have changed it i loved my doctoral program and i think if i hadn't been working while completing it, I would have never found my dissertation topic. Interesting. Um, so speaking of your dissertation, you got that approved virtually. What was that experience like? Oh yeah, so that was crazy. Um, typically in EDD programs, they're, they're made to complete in three years time minimum, but you can also take up to, I believe five to seven years, depending on the EDD program. But the first two years are courses and then the rest of the years are your dissertation. So of course, I was like, I just wanna complete my dissertation in a year. And keep in mind, I was in Indonesia for my Fulbright the summer before my dissertation hours started. So I didn't get as much work done. So spring semester of 2020 rolls around and I tell my chair, 
you know, I want to get this completed this semester and graduate in three years. And she said, well, you really have to get it all written in a month then. So I wrote my dissertation all of February and I was planning for the traditional defense where my mom came and my husband came and, you know, friends from the community could come and watch and I would sit in person with my committee. And then at the end, he'd like take pictures. It would all be, you know, a fanfare type thing and we'd all go to eat. But instead, uh, the pandemic hit. And so I remember I got some edits from my dissertation chair and I got kind of emotional about it because I needed to go to my office on campus and we couldn't get in because it was on lockdown. And I said, I feel all that's left is Zoom and correcting things and all of the good things about this are gone. And she said, but you're about to get a diploma and that's a good thing. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I buckled together and just did all the edits and then I defended on Zoom, which ended up being better than I expected. It was really easy to show my slides by sharing the screen and also more people were able to come because it was virtual. I think I had about 20 different friends and family and co-workers zoom in for my dissertation defense that probably wouldn't have been able to come if it had been in a room on campus. So it ended up being a lot better than I anticipated. That's really good. Um, I know you mentioned your Fulbright scholarship. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You said Indonesia? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I found out about it by riding an elevator. I was taking classes in the College of Education at Appalachian State, and my classes were on the fourth floor, and I was kind of lazy, so I rode the elevator each day, and there was an advertisement in the elevator about the Fulbright program to Indonesia, and it was led by Dr. Paul Wallace, who works at Appalachian State, and his dream um, because he's very passionate about Indonesia. He'd traveled there a pretty large amount of times, and he's also been all over Asia. And so his dream was to bring Appalachian educators to Indonesia to explore the culture of multiple islands, and then we could bring that knowledge back and infuse curriculum with it and kind of become leaders on Indonesian culture because it's a less represented culture when especially K-12 teachers teach about like culture or history or like, you know, different time periods. So anyway, I saw the ad in the elevator and I thought, hmm, maybe I should apply for this. And I really didn't think I had a shot because Fulbrights are very coveted and I really didn't know that much about it. So I wrote my essay, turned it in, and then I was in Atlanta to see a museum exhibit in January. And I got the email and looked over to my husband and said, so in July, I'm going to be gone for the whole month to Indonesia. And he just kind of widened his eyes at me because I don't even think I told him I applied because I didn't think I would get it. So anyway, the entire month of July in 2019, we went to Indonesia. We went to three different islands. We went to Jogja. Bali and West Timor and four different places around Indonesia. We went to Jakarta, which is one of the most populated and industrialized areas of Indonesia, and then all the way to West Timor, which is a very like rural 
traditional area of Indonesia. And through that, we partnered with multiple different universities in Indonesia and schools for dance and art. And we actually got to like learn batik, like art making and different dance forms. And we did some language classes. And for me, it was great because of all of the art. And yeah, we were there for a month traveling around. It totaled in 14 different plane rides too. And I had never been at the country except on a cruise. So that was pretty wild. Wow. That sounds like a really interesting time. <laughs> yep. Your dissertation was on expressive arts. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how you use it to teach composition? Yeah, definitely. So expressive arts is a relatively new technique, like within the past 30 to 40 years is when people started kind of reporting on techniques to use in practice. And it originated for therapeutic use. So counselors would use it in these therapeutic settings with clients or with groups. And it's all about art making that focuses on the process of art making as a form of knowledge construction and healing and problem solving. So expressive arts is very inclusive because you don't have to have traditional artistic skill. You don't have to have a studio background or know anything about shading or brush strokes. And instead you can just take materials and start working with them. And really it's all about the process of what you're tapping into while you're making. And then the reflection that comes after you finish creating the art. So I would was very interested in expressive arts because Appalachian State is one of the only universities that offers a graduate certificate and a concentration in it for both the doctoral program and their Masters of Counseling programs. So I took my first class back in 2017 just because I used to want to be an art teacher and I, I never got to really take art classes, so I just thought, like, I'm not an artist, I can't do this, and when I took expressive arts, I just saw this really different ideology that was all about inclusivity and art as a form of celebration or healing, and I loved that, so then... I just started wanting to try to do it with my students and expressive arts, even though it's offered as an educational concentration in my department, the connections between expressive arts and education are really under researched and a lot of times when people use them it's counselors in education who use them instead of practicing teachers. So I wanted to explore how expressive arts can connect to student learning in the classroom and how can I facilitate these similar experiences that I had with the arts with my students. And keep in mind, I teach rhetoric and composition. So I teach writing classes. So it felt really radical at first to bring in these art materials and tell them to start like drawing or, you know, like creating based on the prompts I gave them. But now I've been doing it for about three years now. And um, my dissertation focused on the findings I had from studying how students interacted with expressive arts. How do you teach using expressive arts virtually? So virtually a lot changed. Typically during a semester, 
they would have three at-home art projects that they would work on for weeks that went with their paper topics. So they'd have a literacy narrative or a rhetorical kind of artistic response, and they would all bring those in. And then they would get to walk around the room and leave sticky notes to each other. And also, in class, I would bring in like this giant art cart I had with colored pencils and crayons and metallic sharpies and I bought all of this with a grant I got um, while I was in my doctorate program and so they would get to use all of that. So when we moved online last spring I did consider and I write about this in an article that's coming out in the CEA Critic in November but I considered not doing the art for a minute when we moved online in the spring 2020 semester because it was such a radical shift and my department kept saying only do the essential things and since i was teaching a writing class it really had me question how essential art making is to what i do but i sent out a survey to my students asking them what they wanted to see when we came back and they were all worried about losing the art which was surprising because i knew it meant something to me and i knew it did things to them but i didn't realize that they would see this as an essential component of the class too so in the spring on our it's called as you learn like asu learn but it's a moodle platform that's like private to the members of your class i created discussion forums where they could post pictures of their art or their music they created and then they could respond to each other and what i noticed was the level of like skill and the energy and the time they spent on their art didn't really dwindle when we moved online. They were still putting forth a lot of effort and a lot of them were commenting on each other's posts consistently. Some were even commenting on the entire class's posts, even though I didn't require that. And so at the end of the semester, I did interview some focal students and I said, you know, like, why did you keep trying with this so hard when I don't grade you on your artistic ability? And they said, it, it provided me this like kind of cathartic release. I was able to like put everything else online aside and do something with my hands. I was able to really reflect on how I was feeling. I was able to connect with my classmates. So it ended up going pretty well in the spring. And then this semester I'm teaching a hybrid right now. Who knows how that'll go in the future with the trajectory of the virus and everything. But right now, my students come in in half capacity to class. And then on the days that they don't come in, they still do some of those discussion forum type posts that I did in the spring. And then instead of having the day where they all bring their art in and they all walk around the room, we do that in Zoom now. So I put them in breakout rooms and uh, yesterday actually was the first time I did it with a bunch of my classes and so I was worried I was like you know they might have their cameras off or they might have bad attitudes about being on zoom but they were all holding up their art and smiling about it and asking questions and so even though it was different than what I wanted the art still gives them that opportunity to be expressive and be excited even in like an online format. That's really great to hear. So can you talk a little bit about how you came to find expressive arts and make it a dissertation? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, like I said, I wanted to be an art teacher when I was younger. I got the classroom artist award in first grade, and that still might be one of my, you know, most exciting moments. <laughs> and as I got older, I, I was indoctrinated with this idea that to be an artist, you had to have skill. And my community didn't offer a lot of art classes for kids. You know, we had art maybe a six weeks in middle school and it was very evaluative. It wasn't very expressive. So you had to like replicate things and how well you replicated it was the grade you got. And so I just felt really beaten down from it. And then I kind of moved into English and saw writing as this great form of expression. But I've always had a passion for the arts. So then when I was looking at doctoral programs and I saw that Appalachian State offered these expressive arts courses, of course I had to take them. And um, they were largely geared towards people in the counseling majors. So the beginning of my dissertation kind of was born in a frustration of I wanted to read more about how educators were using expressive arts as a form of curriculum and I kept being told well you might find a study here or there but it's mostly used by counselors and I kept thinking yeah but I see an opening to do this so I kind of just decided to make my own space for it so after a few semesters of trying a few art projects with my students that coincided with their writing topics I really infused the whole class with art making and so most of my courses every day they do some form of art making whether it be a really quick check-in or it be a longer response to something that helps them construct knowledge on a reading or a concept and so with my dissertation I asked for student volunteers to be interviewed about my class for the semester and I went through IRB at App State and everything and I got a really high number of student volunteers. I think I got like 30 consent forms. So then I had to narrow that down based on what was a manageable number to interview these students because I interviewed them four times over the semester. So we're talking over an hour of interview footage per participant and i think i picked 12 participants total so i was pretty busy i was teaching five classes but i wanted to interview them after each art project that they brought in from home like the big art projects and then once at the end and so from that when i started writing my dissertation i ended up doing a non-traditional dissertation so i did it as a series of articles and each article was on a different finding that i got from the interview data and their journal reflections that they did in class and what I saw in their art. So um, one of my dissertation chapters was on how using art making in composition classes facilitates student engagement and that's coming out in the Journal of Higher Education Theory and Practice soon. So that one got picked up pretty quickly and that was cool because I presented on that idea last year at SUNY's Council of Writing Conference and then someone from that conference reached out to me and said, do you have an article on this? We liked this idea. I was like, yeah, I do. So that was fun. Um, and then I also did an article on this idea of career, which is like um, how students interact with 
what they're learning and how they blend in their identity with it. And I'm still working on perfecting that one um, because I had some requirements for my dissertation that I needed to put in each article that I don't think fit with the article for a publication. Um, so I'm still working on revising that one. You know, the work of revision is never finished. And then my third article was a big surprise because I really thought when I began my dissertation that I needed to just study how the arts help students write. But the part I was missing was that expressive arts is way more about these like personal emotional connections. So I was trying to look at these like standards because I come from a high school background and I was thinking, how can I prove that what I'm doing is effective to these readers who know I'm teaching writing and might find art superfluous. But when I looked at the interview data, so many of them were saying that the arts were doing things for them in terms of like coping with what they were dealing with or in terms of fostering community or providing audience or forms of expression that really didn't have to do with the paper I assigned, but did something, in my opinion, so much more for their mental health. So my third article was about the therapeutic effects that I noticed um, with doing the art making for a semester. And that one's just been picked up by the Journal of Creativity in Mental Health, which um, that's, that's a journal for educators and counselors, and they showcase expressive arts techniques. So I'm, I think I'm the most proud of that article, and that's one that I didn't anticipate writing until I started looking at the interview data. That's so fascinating. You have been picked up by quite a few journals recently. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your experience looking for them and getting published and deciding? Yeah, it's just been crazy. This doesn't like happen all the time. And I really didn't think it would happen to me. My first publication came out while I was writing my dissertation in English journal. And it was about a technique I used with my high school students on teaching literary theory. And I think I was just cruising around on the internet one day and I somehow stumbled upon the call and I thought, huh, I have an idea that fits. And this is kind of embarrassing, but the first draft I sent them was not in the format for their journal. I didn't even look at their format. I just sent them this kind of stream of consciousness. And like they should have, they probably should have just rejected it because like I didn't cite as much as I needed to. But I got really encouraging feedback that said, if you want to revise and resubmit this, this seems like a good idea, just make it fit with like what this journal expects. So I did, and then they took it. And then I was published in the flagship journal for English educators while I was still in my doctorate. So that was wild. Um, and then the Career A Exchange Journal article that came out was a paper I wrote for one of my doctoral courses. And my professor in that class said, you should submit this to this journal and then they accepted it and I didn't have to do any revisions. And so I was just kind of thinking that this was a fluke and I really d never sought out to get published. But I think once it happened, I realized that 
people were seeing value in some of my ideas. I've gotten several emails from people who read English Journal, like practicing teachers who have reached out and said, I loved your article. What do you think about me trying it this way? And so, I mean, that, that really felt good. And so now, um, basically finding the journals for me has just been about like Googling what my interests are. And so now I have this really long Google Doc of all of these journal names and the format they use like APA or MLA and the word count. And so when I get an idea, I start thinking like, oh, I could submit to this journal, this journal or this journal. And I've really just been trying to like reach for the stars with it. Um, one of my articles that wasn't for my dissertation, I wrote it this summer. Um, it just came out in English Leadership Quarterly. It's about art making as a form of like diverse, inclusive literacy practice. And that was something that I just saw the call for when I was just randomly searching. So the journals that I've been accepted to have largely been from like my own investigation based on my interests. And it's been really neat. Like I said, um, in one of the other questions, that one journal reached out to me based on a conference proposal, but then the Journal of Creativity and Mental Health was one that I found and just thought, man, if I could be published in that, that would really mean something and really solidify that my work in expressive arts is meaningful for like therapeutic techniques. And so when they said they wanted it, it was, you know, it was just the perfect match because that was my top journal for that article. So it's definitely been crazy. I didn't think I would have this many coming up, but partially it's because of the pandemic, because this summer I did get married, but the rest of the summer I just kind of spent writing things. I was really charged after defending my dissertation and really excited to do more, especially because when you write a dissertation, you know, you have a committee and they give you feedback and you have to take that feedback and usually it's good, but sometimes it turns your dissertation in a way that you might have not set out to organize it. So I was just so excited to write based on how I wanted to structure things that I ended up writing, I believe it was five like solo articles and then I co-wrote one this summer and a bunch of them had been picked up for future journal issues right now. So I'm just super like grateful for one thing, but also surprised that it's worked out this way because I did not anticipate it at all. Yeah, it did seem to take off really crazy, <laughs> but that's a really good suggestion to keep everything noted in a Google doc like that, where you can see what they expect. So to end on a fun note, what's the most fun project you've received from a student? Oh gosh. <laughs> so um there are so many like i i really wish that i could effectively describe the types of things people bring in and we are talking things that are huge sometimes like i had a student who i taught i have several students who take me for the freshman class and then follow me and take me for the sophomore level class too like a pretty high number for gen ed classes especially like this semester i have over 10 students who I taught as freshmen that plan their schedules around my classes just because they wanted to do the art, not because, 
you know, I'm like the best teacher ever or anything. It's just they wanted to do the art again. And so I had a student in my research study. So his art is featured in some of my articles who for the first project brought in this enormous sunflower and the base was made out of a pool noodle that he'd spray painted and he had this huge bloom and it was on his literacy of like finding independence after a breakup. So all of the leaves have words and he had a heart in the middle and he carried it around campus. Like this guy was just carrying this giant sunflower around campus and people were looking and he didn't care because he was so excited. And I put it in my office, but he had spray painted it recently. So I also had to fumigate my office after that, but it's still there welcoming me. And I love that. And I also had a student who wrote two really phenomenal songs who was in my research study. And I could not believe when she played them, it just sounded as if something like she had produced it under a label or something. And when we talked about it, she said, I always like sit down and start writing songs, but I never had the motivation to finish. And so you giving me this deadline kind of helped me conclude something. And then she actually took it further and they've had some like virtual kind of open mic or like band performances at local venues where she lives. And so she's played those songs before at these like virtual shows now. And so it's just really cool how the art can be so meaningful that students aren't afraid to take up space and put themselves out there, but they're also taking it like further and doing it outside of my class. And so that's just really meaningful. But I told my husband recently, that before I did these art projects, it was hard sometimes to remember students' paper topics because I teach over 100 students a semester. But now when I see students in town, I can automatically remember what they created. And that's just really cool. That sounds really cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're so welcome. I had a great time. And thank you listeners for joining us for this episode of Conversations at the Cohen Center. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at JMU Cohen Center. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at cohencenter at jmu.edu. Both our intro and outro music come from the stock library available at anchor.fm.